This meeting is being recorded. Hi, everybody. I am Michelle Morris from Consolidated Planning Group. Uh, we are so happy to have you here today and so excited to have this fantastic panel of experts with us. We have Marianne Hughes and Mike Day, who are going to be presenting. We also have Rowena from Hope for Three, and we have Darla Farmer. Um, so today's webinar, since we're in webinar mode, we cannot see you or hear you, but if you want to put any comments or questions in the chat box, I'll be keeping an eye on that and uh, all of us can answer questions in the chat box. I will let the speaker know if we have a, a pertinent question um, as we go through to keep it kind of more um, conversational tone. So feel free to put any questions in that you have. This webinar is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording and the slides for this webinar uh, later on today to everyone who registered. So uh, don't worry about having to take too many notes or anything like that. Um, again, I'm with Consolidated Planning Group. We are a holistic financial planning firm that focuses only, well, not only, but mainly on families that have special needs loved ones. So we do a lot of um, special needs planning and financial planning. Um, and we'll get into how you can contact us and a little bit more about what we do after we hear from our guest speakers today. So Mary Ann, you are up first. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, please, if I miss switching a slide over, let me know, but I got your back. Okay, thank you so much. So happy to be here and to present to you all and Hope for Three for sponsoring us today and pleasure to be collaborating with uh, Mike Day. So um, I will tell you a little bit about myself and what I do and how I can help when you're facing divorce or thinking about divorce and you've got kids with disabilities or special needs. So I'm a certified divorce coach. My company is Special Family Transitions and there's my contact information. So please feel free to reach out anytime. Happy to help out. And so if you're on this webinar, you're either facing divorce, thinking about it, or maybe you've already been divorced and have some additional questions. But actually when you're thinking about it and just starting the process, it's very overwhelming. I personally went through this myself, so I speak from experience as well. And so I know, you know, it's hard to know where to start, what to do first, how to find people to help. You don't know what the future is gonna hold for you or for your family and how to get what you need out of the process. But know that this process, even though it's stressful now, uh, will come to an end. And so we wanna make sure that we take the steps to get there in a positive, productive fashion and there is light at the end of the tunnel. So um, we're here to help you get there. And so I am the mom of two boys on opposite ends of the autism spectrum. They're now young adults. And I faced divorce after 21 years of marriage. So it was never on my radar or horizon. So I really didn't know anything about divorce going into it. Um, so I had to spend lots of time, money and energy trying to figure out what to do and how to get the best result for my boys going forward. And so that took me a long time and lots of resource. And so I decided that other people shouldn't have to go through the trouble I did. So I'm using my expertise and my experience to help others navigate the overwhelming complexities that are involved when you're in these kind of cases. 
And so I became a, a coach, different kinds of coach certifications, but my most recent one is a certified divorce coach. So it's a very thorough certification where you learn not just the divorce aspects, but also all the um, ways to kind of help you get from the emotional side to the business um, of divorce. So a lot of people sometimes get stuck in you know, where they are and what brought them to divorce. But really my focus is to help you take the step forward and how to get through the process in a um, productive fashion so that you can then live your best life or as best as you can for you and your kids. And so that's why for my company to provide that kind of support to families. And mostly I work with moms, but happy to work with the, the families together or the dads if need be. And I mostly provide one-on-one -on -one support. I have different things I provide um, through different social media, lots of free resources. But for people who need that really intensive support um, or to get, get started, I create a one-hour course. That's a real low price point. If you're interested in that, let me know. But I'm real proud of that to be able to put that there. And if I could go to the next slide. What we uh, before we go to the next slide, is that link on the bottom how people can find out more about your course? Exactly. That link on the bottom is to my course directly. So I think when you send the slides, maybe it'll come up, um, you know, click on that. It'll work. If not, reach yes. out to me and I can share that with you. But yeah. And just a note to everybody that when I send out these slides or when they get sent to you later on today, um, all of the links will be clickable. So you can you can look forward to that. Okay, great. And so I was trying to figure out in this course, how do I package my years of knowledge into one hour? And so I came up with a system that I call RISE, which stands for, um, each letter stands for different things that you want to do and think about and the way you want to portray yourself um, to your kids and to professionals during your divorce and then to your soon-to-be ex-spouse as well. And so, um, and I'll go through each of these in more detail, but you want to recognize and resolve kind of what you're dealing with. You want to identify and investigate um, things around you and what's going to help you make good decisions. Um, you want to have self-care, support, secure a team, special needs considerations. And then E for express yourself, execute, and embrace. And I'll go through each one of these. And um, Mike will go through the legal ones in more detail. So um, my, my graphic on the right shows the grief cycle. In case you don't know what that is, it's a normal process that we all go through for any kind of loss or change in our lives. And so a lot of times when we first start the process, or if, whether we initiate or whether we're the recipient of it, sometimes we're in a denial phase or a lot of anger. And so we're not really making good decisions at that point. And so we want to eventually get through the acceptance phase to be able to work through what it is that we need to, to work on. And so I help people kind of go work through that cycle. But just the point is know that these, all these phases are natural and they're, um, you're going you're gonna to go through them. And so by recognizing that it's a normal thing that you go through, you will maybe be as hard on yourself uh, when you're kind of dealing with some of those emotions. And so by getting the right mindset, you can better advocate and take the steps that you need to. But what you really want to do when you get to the acceptance phase or even you know, throughout this process is the resolve to get the best outcome and set and meet goals to get through the divorce and get a good outcome. And then for um, you want to identify what you have in terms of 
your financial position. And that's where people like Michelle and Consolidated come in to help you identify you know, where you stand financially. Because what you want to do is look at your current and future needs, especially for your child with a disability, because a lot of times those things might cost a lot of money. You want to think about future programs. And so you want to start thinking about that and have that be part of the discussion as you talk about child support and um, the, the parents working together in the future to meet the needs of that child. And then you want to take care of yourself. I know a lot of times, I know I did personally, and I know a lot of other special needs parents as well, kind of put their needs last when they're raising their kids and when they're doing other things related to trying to work for what's best for their kids. But unless you're taking care of yourself, you're not gonna be able to make good decisions for your divorce and take care of your kids. So definitely I wanna you know, stress that take care of yourself during this process, even though it's the last thing you might wanna do, really you can't pour from an empty cup as they say, so be sure to take care of yourself. And, know, and also seek support from family, friends, professionals and groups like Hope for Three, they, you know, they're there to help support you and connect you with resources. So definitely reach out to different organizations and people that you know you can trust that can help out. And then you also want to work with professionals who have experience in this area that can guide you and direct you. So there's lots of lawyers out there, but you want to find one that has experience in special needs for many reasons, which we'll get into. Um, but also find someone like Michelle, who has the financial expertise and special needs to help you plan for the future and for the during the divorce process as well. And then a divorce coach definitely there on your side to help you think about all the different things that you need to consider. And uh, and then sometimes working with a mental health professional is helpful for you and for your kids, but also sometimes to be an expert um, in your cases if need be. And also looking at, um, so a lot of things that um, you want to look at if your child is special needs, such as we talked about looking at the needs and costs, and then things like funding your child's needs. How are you going to fund them in the future? Especially if you're getting divorced, you know, if you're not a working spouse or don't work as, make as much as your, as your spouse currently does, you know, how are you going to meet those child's needs? And so Part of the answers could be child support, it could be how the assets are divided, it could be spousal support, which um, these things Michael go into in more detail, but also you could think about things like life insurance and government programs and all these things. I'll do a plug for Consolidated. They have a lot of webinars on each of these areas about life insurance and different programs available to you. So um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that now. But know that um, child support in a lot of states may end at 18. In Texas, it can end and go past 18. It could be indefinite, um, meaning lifelong. So Michael talked more about that. And then you also want to look at first and third party trusts in terms of being set up for your child to protect them for the future. And then um, consider guardianship. If your child is young, it may not be at the forefront of your mind, but kind of think about if you can during your divorce discussions, are you gonna maybe have a co-guardianship? Are you gonna need guardianship? And then the child is 18 or over, you know, what that's gonna look like. And there's different ways that you can go about it, but know that that's something you can, you know, think about and discuss during the divorce and who's gonna maybe pay for the, that kind of um, legal work as well. And then the final E is to how you kind of carry yourself throughout this process and the outlook that you have. And so, 
it uh, sometimes some people may um, be in a conflict type situation and maybe have a lot of um, angry kind of feelings that want to come through. But if you can if you can care yourself and express yourself to your team and to your spouse and to whoever you're dealing with in a method called BIF, which is, stands for Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm. And this way, you know, people, things are to the point, there's not emotion, uh, hopefully expressed too much when you're communicating, but really the point is to get your message across and have it taken um, in a fashion that gets you the best result. And then sometimes all the things you have to do in divorce can be overwhelming. So just take one step at a time, take manageable steps and just uh, get through the process. And I'm there to help you. You know, if it does seem overwhelming, I'm there to help you figure out what you need to do and how to get there and create a timeline and help you kind of manage what you need to do to get through the process. And know that, as I mentioned, divorce is a finite event in your life. It'll get through it. A lot of people on this panel have been through divorce and have thriving lives beyond divorce. So just take this time to get through it best you can. Know that it's, you know, look at it as a business and financial type of transaction. And there's a lot of things, of course, emotion involved in that. But know that when you get past the divorce itself, that huge and different life awaits for you. Uh, past that, there's great things you can do in the future. I mean, myself as an example, you know, I was out of the workforce for so many years and now I have my own company helping other people. So it's, it's a new beginning for me and for hopefully all of you as well. And so please reach out to me if I can help. I'm all over social media. And I do have a private uh, group too where I post uh, things that can help you as well. So uh, please reach out if I can uh, if I can help you in any way. And then I'll turn it over to uh, Mike, I guess, for his Mike, question. Mike. Well, thank you very much, Marianne. We do have one question in chat. I missed her introduction. What does Marianne do again? So give us your elevator pitch one more time. Sure. So I am a special needs focused certified divorce coach. So that means that I help people who are either thinking about in the process or even post-divorce to try to get them through the process, support them in any way they can, I can, to um, get a best result for themselves and for their kids in the process. So a lot of it is connecting them with resources, you know, supporting them in any way that they need, getting them ready for meetings, whatever it might be. Thank you so much, Marianne. All right, Mike, you are up. Okay, thank you very much. Well, first of all, thank you so much for Hope for Three for having us. And uh, thank you also to Consolidated Planning Group. Um, let's talk a little bit about how special needs issues uh, impact the family law matter in Texas. Um, in particular with respect to a divorce, I mean, we just got through the holidays. And so a lot of times people will find themselves um, confronted with the possibility or the prospect of a divorce in the beginning of the year. And the first thing to know is, is that it's going to be challenging, but you're going to get through it. And you can get through it if you do certain steps. And those steps are informed by stuff like this, what's on the slide. For example, if you have a child with special needs, it can impact your divorce in a lot of different ways. It can impact the property division because the parent who is primarily taking care of the child with special needs 
uh, might be able to get a little bit more out of the estate. It can impact the amount of child support. In Texas, you have something known as guideline child support, which is the presumed amount. And it's basically X amount of percentage, depending upon the amount of children, 20, 25, 30, um, you know, for 20% for one child, 25% for two children, 30% for three children. And that basically looks at your net resources, which is how much you make after taxes. Um, but sometimes you can go above that. And you go above that by proving that the, the children's needs require more money. It's not at all about lifestyle. It's gotta be about the children's needs. Um, the other really different thing about a divorce involving a child with special needs is that you can actually get child support, child support beyond the age of 18 and, and having graduated from high school. That is a huge difference. Texas is very different from some of the stuff you might see on TV, we're not New York, we're not California. The way divorce is done in Texas at times can be, in my opinion, pretty unfair to the spouse who's uh, not been earning the high wages, who's been taking care of the house, but that is the unfortunate legal reality. The only sort of silver lining to that is that sometimes if you, if you have a lawyer that can help you explore certain possibilities where you can get more than what is just sort of the standard operating procedure in Texas. Um, the other thing that a child with special needs can impact is what's what we call the possession and access of the child, which is how much time is the child spending with mom versus how much time child is spending with dad. In Texas, there's something known as the standard possession order, which is sort of the uh, presumed to be the standard that's in the best interest of the child. And so, you know, oftentimes the child is with the primary parent roughly 58% of the time, and then the child is with the other parent roughly 42% of the time every other weekend with certain um, accommodations for the holidays and, and, and summertime. However, if there is a child with special needs, then the court is allowed to take that into consideration in looking at whether or not it just needs to do standard operating procedure or if maybe it needs to do something a little different for the unique circumstance of this child. In addition to that, and it, the, the legal mechanics of this can get kind of convoluted, but I'll just give a very high level analysis, is that once the child is 18 and graduated from high school, the court theoretically can weigh in on possession and access issues even after that. That's very, very unusual because normally once a child turns 18, uh, possession and access issues, the court loses jurisdiction over that. They lose the power to make decisions about that. And then once the child graduates from high school, they lose the power to decide child support issues. Here, this is very different. If you have a child with special needs, the court can look at not only child support beyond 18, but also possession and access issues. And a sort of a corollary to that is, uh, you know, the ability to make decisions for the best interest of the child. And this gets, this can get very complicated because there's a lot of overlap with the probate court if there's a guardianship involved. Um, and so this is not something you necessarily want to do yourself or necessarily something that, well, I'll just look it up on the internet and see what, uh, we'll see what Google Esquire has to tell me. Uh, the, this gets very convoluted very quickly. Uh, I can tell you that a lot of experienced attorneys, a lot of experienced board certified family law attorneys 
don't get this 100% right in their practice. Um, and it's, and I've, I've seen some very good lawyers. I've seen some very expensive lawyers not do this the way that it can be done. Um, and the, the, the other area that you need to be mindful of if you're, if you're going through the situation of a divorce or considering a divorce is that sometimes there's something called spousal maintenance. That's sort of like Texas's version of alimony. It's not exactly alimony. It's a little bit different. But the most important thing to take away from this presentation of when it comes to spousal maintenance is that if there are not enough resources to take care of the parent who's taking care of the child with special needs, then the court can look forward to income to be made in the future. And it is, you know, it's basically spousal support. I mean, it's there to help take care of the child, but it's also to take care of the parent who's helping take care of the child. And normally spousal maintenance is limited by how long the parties have been married, right? So if you've been married for at least 10 years, then maybe you can get up to seven years of spousal maintenance. Well, if you have a child with special needs, that can be indefinite, right? So as long as you have a parent who is unable to, to take care of their reasonable minimal needs, and that parent is taking care of the child with special needs, then there's the opportunity to uh, get a, an additional portion of whomever might be the higher wage earner's income for purposes of support. And that can be a real game changer for folks. Um, it really, really can. Um, and, and lastly, and Marianne touched upon this a little bit, is that if child support is being paid and if that child is on Medicaid or is looking to be covered by Medicaid benefits, then that child support absolutely should go into what's called a first party special needs trust. And that is a trust that basically will reimburse the federal government uh, and Medicaid in particular for funds that for child support that was received. Now you don't, and this also gets very convoluted, right? This is not something that you can just look up on Google. How am I going to draft my special needs trust? Because honestly, there are maybe I don't know, a dozen at, at most lawyers in Houston and the Houston area that know how to prepare these trusts. And it is in fact, very much a subspecialty within the estate planning community. So a lot of really good estate planning lawyers don't even know how to prepare these trusts correctly. And so that's something that is imperative in going through, whether it's a divorce or maybe you got divorced several years ago and uh, the child is, is approaching 18, because even though the, um, the amount and the duration of child support can continue after 18, uh, if you haven't done this yet, then you need to do it. You must do it. Otherwise, your child is facing the very unfortunate prospect of losing governmental benefits or being made They'll el not eligible for governmental benefits when they really could have been. It's um, probably about the biggest unforced error that a parent of a child with special needs can can make in this type of case. Um, if we could go to the next slide, please. Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Mike, for making so clear <laughs> about yeah. that. That's something we talk about every day, that child support beyond age 18 must go into a first party special needs trust. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's the thing is what is 
in order to get child support beyond the age of 18, in order for a court to consider possession and access beyond the age of 18, in order for a court to order that the child support be paid into a first party trust, the court is going to have to make this finding under the statute. Now, everybody can read, so I won't read it aloud, but this is the standard, right? And so sometimes what lawyers will do, um, because for some reason or not, lawyers don't always have the best of reputations as a profession, is that one lawyer is representing the other party, right? And maybe that party doesn't want to pay child support. What are they going to do? Well, maybe they'll offer to enter into a stipulation or an agreement that doesn't fully comply with this statute. And see, that's imperative, is that you must comply with this statute. Here, I see that the volume's very low. Let me try and turn that up if I can. Give me one second, please. <laughs> I think just speak up, Mike. Yes. Well, you know, I've been told that my voice naturally carries. And so I, I'm just trying not to talk too loud. Um, I Hopefully that is uh, better. Um, but yeah, so this is the statute that you must meet. Now, sometimes uh, it's unclear if a child is going to meet this statute, right? Because maybe the child is not old enough or maybe it's kind of a gray area, right? You have a child who's on the spectrum and uh, one parent thinks that the child will be capable of self-support and the other parent does not, okay? Um, and so just because you, it's maybe not ripe, if you will, for, for this issue to be addressed, it can still matter. It can still matter because it, if the child is younger than the age of 18, it can impact the amount of child support and it can uh, and it can also impact uh, the possession and access schedule. And I see a question here. Can Mike go over the spousal maintenance part and the part about government support? Yes, absolutely. Because so those are some of the most important parts. Uh, the first part about government support. Um, now, that's not something I do. I don't help people get qualified for Medicaid. That's but what, what I can tell you is that the child support income is imputed to the child by the federal government. So if you have a child with special needs and you have child support being paid and that child support payment is going directly to the primary parent. In other words, that money is, is going through the spousal, going through the state disbursement unit, through the attorney general's office, or maybe somebody is uh, making monthly wire transfers and doing an informal payment like that, that, that is potentially very problematic. And so what I would tell you as a best, best practice is to have that money be court ordered to go into a first party special needs Medicaid payback trust. Okay. Because if you don't do that, then there's a, there's a, a meaningful risk and depending upon the amount of child support, an extremely meaningful risk that that child is going to lose their eligibility for governmental benefits. Okay. And now right. the second I thing. Mind if I hop in for a second? So sure, of course, what please. we're talking about is things like the, uh, the waiver programs, um, which include Medicaid, as long as your child qualifies for Medicaid. You have to keep me Medicaid eligible to get those waivers. We're also talking about SSI benefits, supplemental security uh, income, which should be paid to your child starting at age 18, as long as they do not have more than $2,000 in their name. 
and they're not making more than the substantial gainful employment amount. Um, and, and that's where the child support can really mess you up and cause you to cause your child to lose those benefits. Um, so it's very important to be eligible for those. Yes. And, and then with respect to spousal maintenance, that just impacts the duration of, of how long um, you can receive spousal maintenance to help the primary parent meet their reasonable minimal needs. Again, like child support, it's not about lifestyle. It's about your minimal needs, okay? But uh, normally you are limited by uh, how long you've been married, right? And there's a sliding scale there under the statute. Um, but if you are taking care of a child with special needs, then you don't have to worry about the limit uh, on that duration. Okay, we've kind of gone through this. What if it's too soon to tell? You can still try and get above guideline child support. You can still try to make an argument to the court that uh, there shouldn't be what, what courts call the standard possession order, which is you know pretty much the every other weekend and 30 days in the summer that you may have heard about from some of your friends who have gone through this process. Uh, okay, what does the trust do? I'm asking because my child does receive those benefits. Okay, yes, and Mary Ann's correct. That will be counted against them for eligibility purposes. Mary Ann um, types faster than me. <laughs> I was working on that one too. Um, okay. So, and looking at the amount to be paid, so this is this is kind of more into the weeds a little bit, but how do you figure out what your child support is going to be? And the long story short is that you're still using guideline child support as the first rule of thumb, but you can go above that. I mean, theoretically, you can go below it, but courts generally do not do that. Um, you can go above it, but you have to basically link that to the needs of the child. And um, and some things would surprise you as to what is a need for the child. For example, certain dietary issues uh, potentially could be a need, a need for a child. And you'll see that in, in some cases where, you know, one parent really thinks that something is, is linked to diet and they'll want to have a much um, a, a much healthier diet with that consideration in mind. The other parent doesn't agree. And uh, long story short, you, you would be well served by having a medical professional say, this is what the child needs, right? Because I mean, if it's just like, I went online or this is what I saw, or this is what my friend told me, that's really not gonna cut it. The court's probably going to need to hear that from a medical professional. And Mike, if somebody, uh, maybe they didn't get it set up when they went through their divorce initially, and mm -hmm. they don't have that child support going beyond age 18, do they just contact their attorney that they used or contact someone like you who knows how to set it up? Yeah, well, I mean, they can contact whom they want. I would say that whether it's me or somebody else, um, they just need to find a lawyer that's knowledgeable about this. And there are very few lawyers who are, in fact, that knowledgeable about this process and you can file what's called a motion to modify um you know depending upon the underlying facts of the divorce uh there are some procedural nuances there but the long and the short of it is is that you file a motion with the court 
uh, and you try to get that motion heard just as soon as possible because putting aside what a Texas state court can do, um, what you're really concerned about is if the child is looking to, to be eligible for Medicaid, you know, you want to try to get all of this in place by the age of 18 if you can. I had an attorney threaten me by saying my spouse could get away with paying less than the standard guideline. Is that possible? Well, <laughs> let me give you a, a, a typical lawyer answer, I guess. It just kind of depends, right? Um, each case is unique. Uh, family law's got a lot of fast thinking involved, which basically means that people go by rules of thumb, but each case is unique and you just depends on the facts of a case, really. And I'm happy to um, talk to anybody uh, after so we can kind of just get through the slides. But, you know, if someone has a more specific question, needs a more nuanced answer, I'm happy to try to, to make myself available. Um, okay, let's go to the next slide, please, Michelle. Okay, how is the amount of support? Again, the needs of the child, right? Uh, one of the things also is this the, is the primary parent providing the actual care for the child or is the child um, going to go into a residential placement and that sort of thing and that's important because that's another factor for the courts to consider right and and then the extent is that insurance going or governmental benefits going to cover that you know and to the extent that they don't you know the court can certainly consider that for child support um, and then if there are any other benefits made available to the child Right. I mean, if, if if someone else, another relative, for example, had set up a trust for this child, um, not me, but a, a, a very experienced estate planning lawyer, you're going to want them to review that trust. Right. Because, you know, well-intentioned aunts and uncles will do this from time to time. And then it becomes a question of when, you know, if the trust gets funded, is that going to have any sort of collateral consequence? Um, OK, next slide, please, Michelle. Possession and access again, yes. And see, this is important because I've seen a lot of pretty good lawyers miss this in the family code, that possession and access can be decided after a child turns 18 if the child's with special needs. Um, and you, you, you just have to make the court aware that that's the reason why you're asking, asking the court to do that. And again, I've seen some good lawyers not do that, right? And so you, you want to be able to basically get the most relief you can from the judge. And it's not the judge's job to do your lawyer's job for you. Um, the judge is there to be sort of an impartial observer and to consider the evidence that is presented to that judge. Now, of course, roughly 90% of cases settle. However, when lawyers are negotiating, right, um, and whether that's that's just through a phone call, or maybe they go through this process called mediation, which is where most cases end up, where you have two people, you know, you and your lawyer are in one room, and then uh, the other party with their lawyers in another room, and then you have what's normally a, a, an attorney go back and forth between the two rooms, try to broker a settlement. Um, a lot, you know, even though mediation is the way the case gets resolved. The case, what might happen at the courthouse is going to have a huge impact as to what happens at mediation. Now, sometimes people are just unreasonable, 
right? And that happens. Sometimes people are just jerks. They're selfish. And that's an unfortunate reality. Um, so you can't always guarantee you're going to get the settlement that you want in mediation. But what happens at the courthouse should inform that process. Um, okay, and this kind of lays out sort of the statutory criteria for spousal maintenance, right? So someone had a question about spousal maintenance earlier, and uh, this looks to who provides the substantial care and is, whether or not personal supervision because of a physical or mental disability that prevents the spouse from earning sufficient income provide for the spouse's re minimal reasonable needs. Let me tell you something else that a lot of lawyers mess up. And there's one lawyer in particular I know who's who I've, I've seen make a mistake on this. And that is they'll say, well, you know, if you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in retirement, you're not going to get spousal aid. Chap you know, you're not going to get spousal maintenance. You're not going to you're not going to be eligible under the statute. Well, within the last couple of years, there have been a handful of cases that came that have come out that have said that that is incorrect. So we are seeing cases where people are getting five to eight hundred thousand dollars in a divorce settlement and still being eligible for spousal maintenance. Okay, and that's important to know, right? Because you know you have one earner. I mean, it's Houston, right? So take a stereotypical example: husband works for a large oil company. Maybe that company still has a pension plan. You know, people were frugal. They lived in the suburbs like Fort Bend County where there are good public schools. So they were able to save a, a nice nest egg. You know, just because you have that nice nest egg doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to be eligible for spousal maintenance. Um, and, you know, there I mean, there was a Houston case that came out last year where the wife was got three quarters of a million dollars in the divorce settlement. And she had her own health issues. And so there was testimony put on about the cost of her health and she got spousal maintenance. There was a case that came out last month where now this wasn't a special needs case, but it is an interesting case where husband had his own business. It was a very lucrative business. It ultimately got valued at like one point three million dollars by the court. And uh, he had to pay his wife out a sum of money over time. And even though she was getting roughly $9,000 a month, she still was eligible for spousal maintenance. So, and I can assure you, I mean, that case literally came out last month. A lot of lawyers are not going to know about that case. So just be prepared to do a little due diligence there and don't just give up the fight so easily. If someone tells you, well, you're not going to be eligible under the statute because you're getting $300,000 in a retirement account. Um, yeah. So this happens sometimes when you have a close call, you have a gray area, maybe the child's on the spectrum and um, one parent thinks that they meet the disability statute and the other parent doesn't. And so parents can both testify to that, right? Um, courts have a natural tendency uh, to you know, basically, pardon the, the expression, but split the baby, right? And if someone comes in wanting child support and the other person comes in not wanting to pay child support, then the court might have a tendency, unless there's a really good reason why one particular party doesn't have credibility, they're going to kind of even that out, right? That, that, that They kind of moot each other. However, if you have a medical expert 
um, whether it be a psychologist or maybe somebody else in that realm who testifies that the child will meet the statute. That is a potential game changer. And I can tell you that most family law attorneys do not do that. And it will be very, it, it will likely be very persuasive to a judge if somebody comes in who doesn't have a dog in the hunt, in particular, if they haven't even necessarily, they don't have to be one of these people that are like professional forensic experts, right? Um, the one thing that you probably want to steer clear of is having the, well, I won't say steer clear of it, but I mean, you know, you'd want to get input from the child's treater, right? So the primary care physician, the pediatrician, there are specialists um, on board, but a lot of times uh, the treaters don't like to get involved in the legal process, right? And so you probably want to get um, an expert to help you testify, but there are so few medical experts that do this that it's, you know, it's not like the personal injury realm where, you know, everyone's going to just show up for one side of the bar, right? And so, but this is important. This is something that a lot of lawyers, a lot of lawyers miss. Okay, we got another question here. Is there such thing as a legal separation? Uh, not in the state of Texas. Yeah. So you're either divorced or a divorce is pending or you're married. Those are basically the three categories. Now, occasionally people will do agreements where they um, are married, but they're going to they're going to make some adjustments to their property before because they're not sure if they want a divorce. Um, and sometimes, you know, and then sometimes people do that before they get married. But I, I take from the tone of that question, you know, divorce is being contemplated. But do you really want a divorce? Yeah, you could probably do a, a marital property agreement. Um, but again that's one of those situations where it's going to be very unique to your circumstance as to whether or not that's a good idea okay uh, next slide so this is very important right because this is where a lot of family law attorneys there's this there's this book called the family law practice manual and it is sort of the bible for how things are supposed to be drafted in texas divorce decrees the problem with the family law practice manual is that it's although it's an wonderful tool for the bar and a wonderful tool for folks who are going through this process. It's not 100% great for cases involving children with special needs. Um, you know, classic example is that you're supposed to use a provide a preferred provider, somebody in network. Okay. Um, and if you don't, then the person who decides to make the decision to use somebody out of network might have to be burdened with all of that cost of that. Well, if you're using a specialist, maybe that person doesn't accept insurance, right? Doesn't accept your insurance. And the person who's going to be taking care of the child may not necessarily be the person whose employer is providing the insurance, right? And so it's easy to kind of step into that trap and then say, um, you know, there are other care there's other care that's that's being provided to the child we'll use we'll use food again right special diet right and maybe there is an agreement but under the standard language that that's that special though the additional costs associated with that special diet are not going to be covered by the standard medical support provisions in the texas uh, family law practice manual and so sometimes you're going to want to use um customized language and that's, you know, whether or not you have your own lawyer 
or um, and you're just looking to maybe get some additional input. I mean, just you don't have to change lawyers, but it, if you are going through this process or you're going to go through this process, then you owe it to yourself to confirm, you know, the level of experience that your lawyer is going to have with cases involving children with special needs. And uh, this is my personal email. Um, I recently cha changed firms. My work email is in the slide, or excuse me, in the chat box um, at uh, Jeff Diamond's uh, office. So my office is in downtown Houston, but I have my uh, my personal cell phone numbers on there, and um, and so I'm I try to make myself as available to folks as I can. Thank you so, so much, Mike. I'm copying and pasting your email right there again into the chat box so everyone can see it. Um, thank you so much for being here today and uh, helping us through. I'm, I have a few slides to go through. And then um, while I'm doing that, if anybody has any other questions, it'd be a great time to put them into the chat box. Rowena or Darla, do either of you want to say anything about Hope for Three before I go through, through my stuff? I'll gladly say something. Um, first of all, I want to thank all of you for attending today. Thank you, Mike, Michelle, and Marianne, um, with giving us the tools that we need to um, thrive in this journey. Um, as we are all aware, being a special needs family is very isolating, letting alone going through a divorce or have been going through a divorce. Um, so now that you have these resources from these um, amazing panelists, please know that Hope for Three is here for you. We are a, a local nonprofit organization who um, strives in autism advocacy to provide support to our families going through the autism journey. Um, please know you're not alone, whether or not it's you, you just have simple questions or you just need to be with a community that is going through the same path as yourself. We do have gatherings um, for our community with a gal gathering or a guy gathering and even opportunities for our kids to get together with volunteers to help us support um, our activities. So I do invite you to uh, visit our website at www.hopefor3.org and sign up to be on our newsletter letter on community and you will find um, a great amount of resources that could help you through it. Um, and I also want to congratulate all of y'all just for making that step to joining us today. We do realize that time is of the essence, uh, but at Hope for Three, we do believe in parent and parent empowerment. And with this knowledge that you have learned today, you are sure to succeed in the next steps of your life. So thank you everybody for having us. And um, I also want to introduce you to our, our CEO, Darla Farmer. She is our founder and um, fearless leader. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you much. Is that Hope for Three also in Harris County? We are currently in Fort Bend County. However, we do not limit ourselves as far as supporting others throughout. We have um, made connections with people as far as Canada. Now, when it does come to financial assistance, we do have specific uh, fam family assistance programs for our Fort Bend County residents. However, that doesn't mean that we will leave you empty-handed. We will provide you with some information with another organization in your area that could support you financially as well. Thank you, thank you. Now, as Marianne mentioned at the beginning of her talk, uh, we at Consolidating Pl Consolidated Planning Group 
uh, offer webinars two, three, sometimes four times a week um, on all of these different topics that you see here that should be really on your radar when it comes to special needs planning. Um, things like future care cost estimates, you know, how much do you need to save to take care of your child for the rest of their life? You know, not just while you're here, but once you're gone as well. Um, SSI benefits and SSDI and when to apply and what the differences are. Um, we can help you set up an ABLE account. We can talk to you about your beneficiary designations and making sure those are all set up correctly with trusts and making sure your child is not named as a beneficiary directly. Um, we talk about a lot about residential living options and what's out there, what's available for the future, um, and, and post high school educational options, things like that. All of our webinars, after we do them, live on our YouTube channel. So if you would like to visit our YouTube channel, there will be a link for that coming up. Um, and our webinars are always free and available to everyone. So feel free to tell your friends as well. This is our team real quick. We are located at just outside of Houston. There's two married couples as your advisors, myself and my husband, Andy and then Allison and her husband, Jeff. And just like Marianne was saying, we've been through it. Um, Allison has, uh, Allison and Jeff have four children together and two of them have special needs. So her story is very similar in that it's so frustrating and it's so difficult and it shouldn't be. So we're here to help unravel all of the nuances of what it takes to plan for the future of special needs loved ones. We also have four uh, staff members who help on the, on the behind the scenes, making phone calls and doing paperwork and setting appointments and all of that sort of, of thing. So finally, um, we always offer a free initial consultation. Um, and you can use the QR code to take you straight to our calendar, pick a day and time that works best for you and, and have that initial consultation. What we do is um, find out a little bit more about you and answer any immediate questions that we can. Um, and, you know, uh, learn about your family and what you're doing and what your situation is. And then we'll tell you about how we work and what we do and see if there's a, a path for us to move forward, if we would be a good fit. Um, if the QR code is not your thing, of course, you can call or email us. And the Facebook and YouTube channel links are down below. Um, so please feel free to make an appointment with us at your convenience to answer any questions. Um, we are certainly there to help. And then, um, like I said, we, we wanna learn about you and, and help you as much as we can. Okay, so now we've gotten through all of the slides. We do have a little bit of time left. So if you would like to um, ask any more questions, that would be great. We do have all of our contact info posted in the chat and in these slides. Um, you will receive an email later today with the slides and the link to our webinar. But um, if there's any other questions, anything else, I think we missed one question. How does visitation work if the parents don't live in the same city? Well, it, <clears throat> 
under the standard possession order, if you live more than, I believe it's 100 miles away, you can do one of two things. You can either have the same visitation effect, or you can come, I won't say the same. Well, yeah, it's basically the same. It's basically the same if you wanted to go every other weekend. You could do that. Um, I think that's hard on the child, uh, but it definitely the law does allow for that. Um, you have the standard provisions allow for a much longer summertime possession for the non-primary parent because normally they don't exercise um, every other weekend. I mean, it's pretty rare. But if, if but they can get up to instead of the normal 30 days in the summer, they can get 42 days. And instead of alternating spring breaks, they can get every spring break. So but that's just the standard sort of default presumption. Um, if the situation of the case requires it, um, the court will do something different or can do something different, I should say. And uh, parents can always agree. I mean, just because you have these sort of standard default provisions doesn't mean that the parents can't agree amongst themselves for something different. I doesn't guess it um, exceptions to the rule, huh? Right. Does it matter um, who files first when it comes to divorce? Uh, it depends on the case. Um, on one hand, a lot of people think that there's a benefit to filing first because if there is a temporary orders hearing or if there's some sort of element of surprise that needs to be maintained. Um, I don't know, when you say element of surprise, what do I mean by that? Like, let's say somebody's got something, a bunch of guns and cash in a safe or something like that. Uh, I'll never forget the time. It was actually a Fort Bend County case where I had to go with the constable and open up the safe and inventory all the contents <laughs> yeah that was fun um but uh occasionally occasionally it makes sense to file second and so it just really kind of and that's a very specific sort of fact pattern um but uh, you know it, it can it can in that particular case um uh you want to file second, but that's pretty rare. Um, and then a question some people will ask if parents have 50 50 possession, can one parent still receive child support? Yes, they can. Um, and in fact, if I mean, I have I know lots of family court judges and their pet peeve is when people ask for 50 50 so they don't have to pay for child support. So court is almost always going to order some child support get paid and be pretty extraordinary if a court ordered nobody to pay child support. Occasionally people will agree to 50-50 no child support. And my take on that is that if both parents are making roughly the same amount of money and they live close to one another and they're both equally contributing to the child's expenses, I can understand that. But when you're in family court and something's being litigated, that is rarely the case. Um, normally there's some sort of underlying disagreement. Um, how do vari variations for 18 and over work? That really depends on the circumstances of the case. Um, because the other thing to remember about that is that you can have a child who meets the adult disabled child statute, right? So all the stuff we talked about, child support, possession and access, all that can come into the mix. However, however, just because you're in a disabled child doesn't mean that you lack mental capacity to make certain decisions. And there's actually a very obscure provision of the family code that's really never been interpreted by an appellate court that says that a child who's disabled doesn't mean that they're mentally 
lacking competency. And so they can make their own decisions, right? Because normally it kind of, kind of becomes like a de facto thing. Like the 16 year old, 17 year old wants to, they have their own car, they got band practice or rehearsals or sports team practice. They're going to do their own thing. But with kids who have physical disabilities, but not mental disabilities, the family code gives them the express power to weigh in on that. Um, do I represent parents in court outside of Houston, Austin County to be specific. Um, Sylvia, maybe reach out to me and we can we can kind of talk about that, just the two of us. Key advice, put child's needs first and base discussions based on that. Marianne, as normal, you are absolutely correct. That is fantastic. I am so glad you have all been here with us today. Um, what an amazing panel and a great discussion to have. So much helpful information. Uh, please stay tuned for more of our webinars. We do, like I said, three, four every week of very, very helpful information just like this. Contact us or any of our panelists if you have any questions about today's information. And um, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week and, and go out there and go kick some butt, everybody. All right, thank you so much. We'll go ahead and stop the recording here. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.